0: Chalchester! What a scream. What a screamer!
1: take a trip down memory lane to relive past glory back to the best years of arsenal when we finished third and got knocked out in the quarters this is the arsenal vision post-match podcast my name is Alex spithy can block me on twitter Yankee gunner that's right that's right the glory days the golden years back when we could finish third in the premier league and get knocked out in the quarterfinals of the champions league but you know what it was a good season in the season we're talking about well maybe you don't remember it as a good season i do We'll get into that. It's the 07-08 season. That's right. For the next three days, we're going to be taking you through it. Today, we're going to walk through the season. Tomorrow, Clive and I are going to do a rewatch of the uh, away derby that season in the league. And then on Friday, we're going to talk about the aftermath and how the way this team broke up sort of changed the trajectory of the club. But this this was the team, the team that was the rebuilding project. Thierry Henry had gone in the summer. The Invincibles were gone. And it was time to look forward. And what this team was able to do and the football they played inspired a lot of hope and and there were a lot of interesting characters moments in the season and so we're going to talk about that with Tim you can find him on Twitter at Stoberto hello Tim hello there and Clive you can find him on Twitter at PAFC. hello Clive yeah, hello hello yeah you know it's funny guys right like obviously we related the Invincibles over and over and over again rightfully so and for good reason um, there are lots of books there are lots of podcasts I mean Arsblog has done some amazing work uh, on the, the Invincible season and, and that team but I think the years following the invincibles blend together a lot and there's certainly a lot of interesting stories and interesting years and given the COVID-19 situation we may wind up going over all of them but 2007 was really the start the start of it sort of the the proper beginning of a new era that would come to be known as you know the Emirates era and Project Youth at various times Um, and so let's set it up this way Tim let's let's talk a little bit about that summer and where we were as fans and where we were as a club because that summer Thierry Henry finally leaves for Barcelona. Reyes goes. Jundberg goes. The last of the Invincibles, I mean, I think uh, Gilberto Silva stuck around another season, but the last of the Invincibles are breaking up. And the 2006-07 season hadn't ended well. And I think there was a perception that it was going to be a long, tough road for Arsenal, and especially with the impending ascendancy of not just Chelsea but uh, Manchester City as well so maybe you can talk to me a little bit about where you were mentally mm. as as regards Arsenal that summer your expectations and sort of the the process of saying goodbye to the invincibles and what you were expecting to come
2: yeah well, I was uh, I remember being in a very different place um, <laughs> to, to most Arsenal fans because um, I you know I was I was writing and blogging regularly um, during this summer um, and because a lot of people, you know, we sold Thierry Henry and I understand this. A lot of people thought, oh, my God, we're selling Thierry Henry. What are we doing? Um, I thought that was a really necessary sale um, and had the stadium not been there. I, I kind of what thought he should have gone a year or two earlier. Mm. Um, I think we'd just come to that stage where the player had become a bit too big, um, possibly in his own mind, um, but all, but definitely like tactically um, it, it was too much based around him. It kind of reminded me of latter-day George Graham and Ian Wright, where the game plan was, don't concede a goal, give the ball to Ian Wright, hope he does something. Um, and, and I felt like there was a team bubbling below Henri. Um and actually what happened in the 06-07 season that I, I you know I think is worth going over is we had this constant flip between 451 and 442. Um and the reason for that is because if you build your team around Henri, you want four four two. You need him up front, you need like a number ten behind him. If you're building your team around Fabregas, you need four five one. And Arsenal constantly switched back between the two during 06-07. And I was looking at it and I was thinking, Fabrias is 18, Henri's twenty-nine, and he's got sciatica. <sighs> there there's there's only one way this is going. Mm. Um and so I I kind of I always had the um yeah, I I kind of I was ready for Henri to go, even though, you know, which is not to say he was shit or anything. He clearly wasn't. It's just sometimes it's time, you know? Um, and so I, I was actually far happy is the wrong word. I was far more content with that sale than most Arsenal fans. Um, and, and the same for Freddie Jungberg as well, as much as I love Freddie, he, he wasn't the same after that hip injury. And I thought that that was a really necessary sale as well. So I, I was quite happy with that. And I just felt that with the likes of Van Persie and the likes of Fabregas, I didn't even really feel like we needed a massive replacement. Um, and actually, if you remember, what we did was we bought Eduardo, mm. um, who, although a striker, was not an Henri replacement, really. He was he was a good, savvy addition, a smart addition, I felt. Gave us something, you know, we, we weren't going to have that one guy anymore who was going to score 30, 35 goals, um, back permitting. So, you know, we had Van Persie, we had all. At the end of 06-07, Fabregas started scoring goals. He had a massive goal drought. And then in April 07, he broke it. And then he scored in, I think, three games in a row. And I th- and I remember Wenger saying, you know, when I watched Fabregas when he was 15, 16, I was watching him score hat-tricks. Um, you know, I was watching him score lots of goals. And I think that's the part of his game to come. And so I was thinking... I fancy Fabregas is going to is going to find his uh, find his feet in front of goal. We've got Or, we've got Van Persie, we've added Eduardo. I just felt like it looked like a more rounded team. And the other thing we did was we bought Bakary Sanya. I knew nothing about Bakary Sanya, but I felt we needed a right back because I wasn't sold on Eboué or Justin Hoyt. And I thought, okay, that to me, looks, imagine, <laughs> uh, yeah, well, yeah, indeed. And and I thought, okay, that. That looks smart to me. We've got Gallas at the back who, remember, this summer was made captain um, as well. And I, I'm sure we'll come on to this later. So I won't go through the whole like Gilberto Silva, Flamini, Galas, captain triangle that all kicked off that summer. But mm. I thought, OK, th- this to me looks like it's got the bones of, you know, The team after the Invincibles, I I felt like it was taking shape. And we had Walcott, who at that time was, you know, I think 19, maybe. Um, And I was thinking, yeah, there's there's something here. There's something I think I can get behind. So I I was actually quite buoyant going into this season, but I don't think most Arsenal fans were.
1: Mm. Uh, Certainly. Not expecting us to start the season twenty-two league matches unbeaten, <laughs> or, or, or over the the start of the season no, in the pr- no. pri- prior season. No, I would not imagine so. Uh, Clive, I mean, this is this is a period where you know the the talismanic striker is leaving. The last of the Invincibles are going. There are a lot of players people don't know a lot about. The leader of the team is now you know a, a young midfielder who is a precocious talent, but certainly you know I I don't think anybody knew exactly what he'd be capable of with a a reformed team. I mean, for you, were you expecting a a season of mediocrity, a season of pain? I mean, we'd come off one with a lot of disappointment. I will never, ever forget the Champions League exit the season before uh, against Ajax where, nope, I already forgot it. It was PSV. And the reason I said Ajax is it was Alex, right? Who rose to head a corner late to give them an away goals win that that really knocked the stuffing out of us. We, we went out of the FA cup, the the league cup, everything all, all in, you know, a, a two week span. So, there was a lot of pain that we had just come from and I, I don't think that things look particularly bright were you expecting a, a long period of decline for the club before we would maybe see another rise to prominence
3: uh, I was expecting a decline but what we were doing at the time wasn't done by many teams I mean what we were doing getting young players from abroad having a couple of years in reserves and putting them into the squad that you know that process was just starting and I don't think you know. You can sit back with confidence and say, "Yeah, this is going to really, really work." Really talented players, but you need to sort of see them. And and also, I think there was a, a bit of a leadership void. Um, I know if, this is how I felt. I felt that obviously when Omri sort of left, he was he was everything—captain, coach, you know, favourite schoolboy in in the playground. He was he was everything, right? So, and we depended upon him, moody or not, back injury or not, when he warmed up or not. We sort of we felt comfortable when certain names were there. We, were, I felt we were transitioning from having special names to having a team. And I, I don't think anyone felt comfortable with that. I know I I didn't. I'm, I wasn't the same guy I am today, maturity-wise. And so I'm just looking at it thinking, yeah, this is all right. But the competition wasn't so bad. We didn't have a Man City. We didn't have, you know, five other teams trying to kick us off that Champions League spot. So it felt like we were still looking upward but not expecting to be first, but still looking upward, and so that was good. And obviously, Fabregas at the time, I personally took a while to to warm to a change, to warm to a change from a Vieira, Gilberto type security and physicality, to moving towards uh, Fabregas and Flamini. And it took me a it took me a while to to feel comfortable with that. And so I, I don't think I was alone with that. I think that transition away from having the tallest, fastest counter-attack team that basically won games in the tunnel, to having a team with um, ball players, number 10s, pass and move. I think that took a, a bit of time. But not only for us did it take time. I think it took time for the English game to get used to these players. And I felt, I've always felt this, you've heard me say this before, I felt that that was appeared when Arsenal became the foreign team in the Premier League. We were playing a, a we were starting to play a brand of rotational pass and move, the early phases of ticker tacker football. We were starting to bring that to the Premier League and, and people were thinking, well, we're not having that. Let's get stuck into them. It has almost felt to me on many occasions, I always felt that we were refereed slightly differently because of the way we played, the technical arrogance that we had. And I just felt that it made us a target for um for other teams that didn't have this way of playing and uh, and I felt we was almost like the the twenty first team you know what I mean the team that we we needed to be uh need to be sorted out now let's do it our way, let's do it this way. we're gonna show you that the way you play is not the way it's gonna be, and stop trying to be arrogant with how your style, et cetera so i I always felt that I always felt a little bit like um it was us against everybody else. But then as the season went on, you started to see players develop, um, which I'm sure we'll go on to. And then your sort of, confidence grew, but there was a confidence group, we were underlying how long is this going to last type feeling. That's what that's what I felt at the time. And those feelings haven't really left me.
1: Mm. Well, all right. So let's get into the season a little bit. And some of the decisions that had to be made by Arsene Wenger and, and some of the the sort of personalities that came to the fore in that season. I think one of the things that would be easy to slip through the cracks of this discussion because there's so many interesting things in midfield and in central defense and the ebbs and flow of the season. We'll get to the highs in a minute. But early on in the season, Tim, there were some Mm. things that happened that I think made a profound impact on where the season would end and maybe even the future of the club for the next several seasons. And that is that Jens Lehmann made a couple of big mistakes early in the season. One that I mm-hmm. think uh, he you had mean a goal. Al-mania. No, Jens Lehmann. Like, Lehmann. Lehmann, yeah. And Lehmann uh, had a goal go in, I think, off his leg, and one where we recovered it to win. But then another that he just let go through his hands, and, and we we dropped points. And because of that, Wenger made the decision to switch to Manuel Almunia, a decision oh, that sorry. I think had long range. Well, you're you're right, Clive. <laughs> Manuel Almunia mistakes did did not become um, a rarity by any means. But I think that decision to move on from Lehmann to Almunia had had some pretty major repercussions and and was a mistake that Wenger made and so I'm curious to get your take on you know whether you feel it was time for him to move on from Lehman, uh whether the Al-Mu- the decision to switch to Almunia make him the first choice keeper ultimately may have played a role in how the season culminated and and really the next several years at Arsenal where the goalkeeping position was kind of a quagmire I mean was that did he did he pull the trigger too quickly on that move so, no,
2: I think it was a long term error, but not a short term one. Okay. Ma- Manuel El had a really good season. Um, this season I don't remember too many mistakes from him and he kept his place you're right so Jens made in the first five minutes of the season he literally passed the ball to David Healy Fulham to put them one nil up Um, and you're right Arsenal recovered that then a week later at Blackburn David Dunn hits a shot straight at him and Jens spills it into the net I, I think we remember Jens very fondly because In many ways, he was an excellent goalkeeper with a great big game mentality and he was a bit of a character, but he was a bit of a liability as well. He was dropped twice during his time at Arsenal and I felt he deserved to be dropped on this occasion. And Almunia came in and Almunia kept the shirt for, um, you know, well, he actually ended up keeping it for another few years, but he stayed in the team, I think, on merit um in this season and you know that massive long unbeaten run we go on at the beginning he, he's in for all of it um so I, I i don't think in the short term that that was an error so i think a couple of things happened in this season and i completely understand them that weren't planned that happened and they kind of kept working so we kept rolling with it and one of them was Almunia, which i don't think cost us in this season but it cost us in subsequent seasons The other one uh, we were talking about off mic um, just before, because for me, the biggest and most amazing things that happened this summer. I don't know if you want to call it the Gilberto incident, the Diara incident, the Flamini incident, but is is Matthew Flamini breaking into the team, which which is not in the plan at all. Birmingham tried to buy him but wouldn't pay him what Arsenal are paying him so he ended up staying he's got one year left on his contract Arsenal don't want him but then we have an injury crisis in midfield at the beginning of the season Diara hasn't been signed yet Danielson and Song are considered too young Diaby's just come back from injury Um, and Gilberto went away to the Copa America and captained Brazil and they won it out in Venezuela and that was curtains for Schubertos' career because he came back late which meant that not only did he not get the captaincy and William Gallas got it but then he loses his place to Flamini because Flamini comes in and he starts playing brilliantly and you can completely understand having com- completely by accident stumbled ap- upon this kind of midfield axis we just keep Flamini going and I get that but then in the long run um, you know we lose Lasana Diara who we signed and we put that signing in motion because we didn't count on Flamini. We knew Gilberto was getting older. Danielson and Song are too young. So Diara comes in and, and we get nothing out of him because Flamini kind of ruins the plan mm. for, for, for everyone. Um, for Gilberto, mm. um, et cetera, et cetera. And we make Galas captain. And, 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 of course you know, Flamini ends up going on a free and all of that. So that's the kind of stuff where we made some short-term decisions because, frankly, we got on a roll and we got on a good run of form and we were top of the league and we kept going with it. And I understand that.
1: Yeah, and before I turn it over to you, Clive, I mean, this is what's tough. I want to be critical of Arsene Wenger switching to Manuel Almunia. I I mean, and and that is informed partly by my feelings about Almunia generally. And I want to be critical of... Not using Diara more and, and Gilberto Silva more, although Gilberto Silva played a lot that season and, and, and leaning into Flamini, but undefeated through December. Here's something that a lot of people don't know about this squad. The first ever team to reach sixty points in the league in February. Ever. It'd never been done before. It was or, you know, not in the Premier League era, I don't I don't know how far back that goes, but but they were the first team to do it. This wasn't a team that was doing okay and had a shot at the title this was a team that was setting records. This was a team that Pele in November said is the best football team on the planet right now. They're playing the best football. Um, it was a delightful team to watch. It is it is some of the best football I have ever watched Arsenal play full stop, including the Invincibles. They were magnificent to watch. Adebayor I think was on 24 league goals that season, crossed the 30 goal threshold in all competitions. Um, Fabregas had seven goals, and I, I wanna say like 14 or 15 assists, something like that, I'll have to check that. Um, you know, but, but you know, Hleb was doing Hleb stuff, <laughs> dribbling around and and making short passes, and no one could take the ball off him. And there were just lots of really exciting, influential players that, that popped up with with interesting moments. Eduardo was sort of a poacher. Robin van Persie was he? I, I want to say he was flitting around the team as well. There was just yep, he yep, was yep. So I mean, there was a lot going on there that was really fun to watch, and and it was a really good season. And so while you can be critical of decisions because you know how the season ended. At one point, this was a dominant Arsenal team, and and there was a you know there, there was a lot of good football played along the way. So, Clive, I mean, I know you're particularly critical of what happened with Diarra. You want to sort of explore that a little bit?
3: Yeah, well, Tatum's he's, he's nailed the Gilberto a bit absolutely perfectly. So, you go into a league and, in, into a situation where Gilberto was was a player that I, I loved a lot and was looking, I think, would have should have been our captain that year. You get Galas in. And now we get Gallas in, we give him the number 10 shirt, which is like, what, what are you doing? Do you do know what I mean? It's like, why are you making him captain giving number 10? That, to me, sort of reeked of, we, we, we're so glad to have you. And I didn't like that. I wasn't quite sure about the Gallas-Torre um, partnership because I felt there was no big man. There were two covering, tracking defenders. But I, I didn't see anybody wanting to take charge. I didn't... I didn't tr- Good for wide space defending, but I didn't see the physicality I'd like to see. If you think of the back four with Sanglia and Clichy, that's a quite a sharp back four. Much quicker than we've got today. Mm. <laughs> um, and then we go, you go into and the centre mid. we we got a chance with Gilberto. We have Diara, a sprinting cruncher. Absolutely wins races all over the pitch. And when he wins it, he gets out of, out of pressure and keeps it. We're a player that played for Real Madrid for years. I mean, we're talking about a quality individual. We got Flamley, I think, Tim Did we get him for Marseille? I think we got him for Marseille, I'm yes, not did. sure. Yeah. And yeah. I remember when he left Marseille, he sort of left in a strange way. He didn't... We got him for free. I think it was a contractual issue. And so this guy was always somebody. I don't think he ever went for a transfer fee in his career. The so a situation where he's in the last six months of his contract, you've got Diara, you've got Gilberto, who do we choose to play? We choose the one that's got six months to go. Mm. We don't choose to to be the one with a contract. That sort of stuff started to tell me that we're starting to make bad decisions. So we end up in a situation where, obviously, we were being picked on physically. Flamie was a hard-working player, not a no, not bad physical player, but I didn't think he had the presence and the stature and the gravitas of Gilberto or or Diara. And we had Fabregas. And for me, you have to say to yourself, wasterbeck's mix and i felt i felt we got that wrong i really felt we got that wrong and that to me we end up in a situation into the, the season where we lose Yara, family walks out a door for free and we break gilberto's heart so well done you mm-hmm. know what i mean yeah. we lose not just rather than losing one we lose three players you know and then that to me is crap and i remember at a time when i was fuming at a time and I, and I just think that we started to see some bad decisions. We started to see player-led decisions. We started to see a weakness there. And I felt the focus of the club had switched a little bit to financials, fiscal moves, money was spoken about, mm. uh, sponsorship deals were spoken about. How can we get the most out of these young players? And it became a vehicle which I felt suited a developmental coach I'm the best one. I brought these players in. I'm the best person to bring these guys forward. And he was very unfortunate. It didn't work out for him. But, you know, there was something there that was exciting. But I felt he could have loaded the dice a bit more on his side, Wenger, to make sure that we reached the conclusion that I felt his team deserved to reach.
1: Yeah. I, I mean, it is so hard because this is a season that up to a point, Vastly exceeded anybody's expectations, and so you can say with those players and with that group, he got the formula exactly right to to get a performance out of them that was at one point, you know, among the best in the Premier League over many many years, if not ever, and then it collapsed. And you can certainly point to some of the decisions he made that may have precipitated <laughs> that collapse and, and precipitated that collapse over several seasons. But also there were some factors that, that we'll get into from injuries, refereeing decisions, you know, whatever the case may be. But before we talk about the tail end of the season, because that there's a lot of intrigue around that and, and some of the things that happen, let's get to some of the high points. I, I loved watching this team play. Um, do you want to pick a, a league and then maybe Champions League game that, that stand out for you from this season, Tim?
2: Um, I will resist the Spurs Away one, um because uh because you guys are we're gonna doing do the rewatch. The
1: rewatch. Tomorrow,
2: yeah. <laughs> yeah, um, thank you. <laughs> so all right, I, I, I am gonna go for one because uh, there was also Spurs at home, but I feel like that's too obvious. Um there was actually one that came in the middle of an awful spell of form um at Bolton. hmm
1: Weren't we um, two 0 down, I wanna say?
2: We were two nil down and down to ten men. Mm-hmm um and as five years earlier we'd lost the league title effectively lost the league title by going to bolton going two nil up and losing a two nil lead and every every season after and we played bolton a couple of times in the cups as well so we were going there like you know, we must have been there seven, eight times um, since then by the time we went to this game. And every season they used to sing to us 2 nil, and you fucked it up. Mm. And even though at the time it was quite clear we'd already blown the league and there wasn't an awful lot riding on it, to go 2 nil down um, and down to 10... And then beat them three two in the last minute was let me tell you fucking glorious it was absolutely amazing it was just one of those things like every because we kept losing at Bolton as well it was like our real like bogey ground
1: well the following and, seasons if, it got worse right I mean the the Sam Allardyce Bolton teams bullied us a lot and I can remember some pretty um, bad days for for Al-Munia against them. I, I, actually, actually,
2: no, it didn't. Um, uh, this, this was kind of the point where it turned round. It was, was in it? the Okay, this was the
1: combination. So I may, I may have my my dates wrong. Yeah, I just remember yeah. getting bullied, physically bullied by them, in quite a few games. Yeah.
2: Yeah, and and actually, Allardyce had gone by this point. He'd oh, right. gone there to Newcastle go. sure and uh, got himself sacked. Yeah. Um, but but every year, every year, we'd we'd quite often go two nil down to Bolton, and we'd all turn to each other and go, "I'd love to fucking turn it round on them just once, just mm. to shut them up." And yeah, it was it, it you know it didn't have an awful lot of meaning, and it didn't. I think we kind of knew that at the time in the grand scheme of things, but. Um, when it happened, it was absolutely glorious. And I, I, anyone who doesn't remember it, um, if you Google it, one of the first images you'll get is an absolute rain-sodden Ses Fabregas. Who, it was actually an own goal, the last-minute winner, but he gets the last touch and the look on his face as, as he runs away was like mm. rain. Like absolutely, when it came, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> and like the, the rain's just like pouring down his face and he's got that look on his face. Like he's about to cry. Um, yeah, that, that, that I'll pick that one. Cause it's, it's not quite so obvious. I'll
1: come back to you for, for champions league. Let, let's get, let, uh, Clive in here for a league game and then we'll, um, we'll do the champions league. Cause there were a couple of good ones there as well. Clive.
3: Yeah. Well, I, I, I can't, I, I can't get spurs out of my head. Yeah. You have to get spurs it. away. I can't, I can't get it out of my head, but, um, but I do remember that Bolton came, and it it, and it sort of epitomised exactly what I was talking about earlier. I felt there was a suspicion and a feeling that we didn't like it up us, and Bolton epitomised that. So that win felt like more, because we had a sending off, because we could get kicked to death. As soon as we kicked anybody back, we were sent off immediately. Then the old mantra of how many red cars has Venga got Comes up in the press. It used to really annoy me. No one ever. We didn't have the stats about f- fouls against in those days. It's always red cards and yellow cards, and and our reputation was deemed as being the the worst in the league, even though we had the the lightest, smallest, one of the youngest teams, and we were the victims. But as soon as we reacted, we were the ones that suffered, and Bolton sort of epitomised that. And you know, to do it in that way sort of shoved it back up those people that said that we couldn't play against the Boltons, who was that that day Stoke basically. We had Stoke to come, mm-hmm. right? So, um, well, so, there was yeah, the Blackburn
1: so, team also. I remember, weren't they? They bullied us a bit. Didn't Didn't they have their their chance for a while?
3: Or am I yeah, misremembering they, that they
1: too? <laughs> we got bullied by a lot of teams, to be yeah,
3: fair. I and, and I suppose. Yeah, I, I can't see, I, I enjoyed the Spurs game, m- mostly, just because it's them, obviously, mm-hmm. but the way it was done, the goals, the style of the goals, um, the panache, uh, that's a great example of that team really working, and working really, really well. Um, so yeah, I, that game stayed with me, but also the the last goal added by Ors goal, and and that goes in, and you just get the flick of their seats going up, and you, oh, I love that when that happens, right? So, um, because there's no greater when you're when you're at Spurs, and it's a challenging day for those who have been to that ground before. It's a challenging day getting in. It's a it's a challenging day getting out. I promise you that. Mm-hmm. So the bit in between it better be good, and that and it's one of those days when when it was good.
1: Yeah. Um. I look. I think any any season you do the double in the league over Spurs is a good one and you know th- that was a particularly good one but there were there were some fun European uh, ties that season as well and I, I know there's one you're particularly keen to highlight uh Tim so I'll let you have the first run at Cl- Clive's not getting any favors here because he's going to want to say the I same thing okay uh, ha- ha- you have you know a, what? have a first so, crack at it yeah
2: <laughs> so I I'm going to leave Milan um, <laughs> to, to Clive okay yeah, yeah, yeah. And instead, I'm going to go, because I do remember it really fondly. We beat Slavia Prague 7-0, 7-0. in the yep. group stage. Yep. And some of the football we played that night, again, I would incur I think it's the sixth goal in that game. I, can't, I think it might have been Hleb who scored it, but it's just the most wonderful team goal. And I know it's, you know, it's only Slavia Prague and it's the group stage. But, you know, when you're just watching your team and you know that they're on really, really good form and their tails are up and they're confident and everyone's fit. And you walk into the ground and you think, yeah, we're going to, we're going to do these tonight. Um, and they, and they just play this absolutely wonderful football. And, it, and, and, you know, it's, it's that kind of, it's almost like the economies of scale effect, you know, where you just, you just, you know, that everything's going right and everything's clicking And you just go, yeah, these lot haven't got a chance. And we absolutely blew them away. And there are some absolutely beautiful goals um, in that game. And it it was just, I think it was the height of that season, not because it was, you know, the emotional high, but um, actually, I mean, if you look at the Premier League fixtures, we actually whisper it quietly. We had a really gentle start to the season. So there was a good chance to really build up momentum and we took that chance and then we get like Liverpool man new consecutively and we draw with both of them and you're like okay all right we've you know we've not lost we've held our own Um, but that yeah this this kind of came in the middle of that run where Arsenal were in you know pure footballing terms at their absolute peak and poor Slavia just did not stand a chance.
1: Yeah, and I I think the one thing that Arsene Wenger's teams would go on to sort of really be defined by over the the period of Project Youth and and during the Emirates era was beating up the weak teams. I mean that that's how we finished fourth a lot of those seasons, and it was always fun to watch. And and this season Arsenal definitely did that. I think wasn't the awful Derby County team in the league that season, and I think we put six past them in one of the games seven pass yep. Slavia Prague. And those are fun games. Uh, certainly something we haven't seen in recent seasons. All right, Clive, you want to talk about Milan? You want me to set the stage? Yeah. Let me set the stage <laughs> real quick. So it's the quarterfinals <laughs> of the PC Champions Nails. League. It's a nil-nil draw at home. And no English team has ever beaten Milan <laughs> at the San Siro. So over to Italy, we travel facing Maldini, Coladze, Pato, Gattuso, Inzaghi, Nesta, Pirlo, Kaká, Ambrosini and Otto with uh, Giordino coming off the bench. We had Almunia, <laughs> Diaby, Sanya, Fabregas, Senderos, Gallus, Leb, Flamini, Clichy, Adebayor, Abue. You want to take it from there?
3: Yeah, I suppose the whole... If if you want to pick a night where you could be proud of your club and proud of a philosophy and to build a team like Wenger built into, you know, from really from... 2002 to 2006, lose the Champions League, and then recreate this team. It's completely different. You got you got to tip your hat. You got to tip your hat. And um, and if there was a night to epitomise it, or I mean, Tim picked Slavia Prague, I suppose, you know that face that Tim spoke about that Fabregas had at Bolton. It was a similar face after he scored this goal at, at Milan. And I, I, I always felt that that was the night Wenger had his more perfect team playing the way he wants to play, with a young team, with stars he was building. I felt that's where he wanted to be. That's where he wanted to go. He had freedom. He knew he was important to the club's future. We knew that we had our we had our mortgage based on him being in the building. And so he felt as though he could experiment and he could bring something new to the to the British game. And no one had done anything in Milan Stadium. And we went there and basically, so played them off the park, but played with bravery and panache, and then executed goals towards the end of the game and and won the tie. And yeah, to see to see that, I didn't go to that game, but to see that on TV, it was a night when um, you felt extremely proud and. But I will say that I know we look back at this team and we are really, really looking back and we're talking fondly. But what I remember a lot about that season was, and the previous seasons, was the amount of summers that were ruined for me with Vieira going, Henri going. And even in this season, there was talk of Kleb going, Flamini going, Diara going. You know, there was talk of us buying an Elkabat, which we should have done in January. And I seem to remember we built this team, we built this way of playing, and everyone loved our players. And it, that we, we lived with a vulnerability from the market, and we knew that we were short of money, and we, and we lived with a, a, a vulnerability physically that in the English game we could be dominated, and we lived with a suspicion. That eventually this was going to run out if we didn't quite invest in key areas, and and that's the feeling I had. And playing enough I remember the good stuff, but I remember that feeling as much. Mm. I, I remember that, and I'm thinking, if we'd have just got an Elka, what then happened to Eduardo? Maybe we could have, we could have bounced on, and then Elka goes to Chelsea. That gutted me. Should have gone back. And there were situations there with the family we spoke earlier. There were just decisions. That if we just flicked the dice our way, I could have gone a, a little bit better. But on the, if you're talking positive, which one? I'm, I'm trying to stay positive. Um, that night in Milan was as good as it gets, and I have to say, uh, a game that didn't work out for us. But there was some there were some moments in the Anfield game, which are in the in the quarterfinals, which I thought was was as good if not better. So yeah, that's yeah. it goes.
1: Yeah, I mean. Fàbregas scoring from 30 yards out in the San Siro, you know, to to put us through, and I know Adebayor Ior had I think a stoppage time goal as well to make it two nil. But that's, you know, that's Ancelotti in his prime with Milan, you know, fairly in their prime at least, pretty much. Uh, and and Arsene Wenger's young Arsenal team beating them at the San Siro is a huge moment. So I mean, before we get to what happened with this season, because I think it really is quite incredible what happened. Um. Tim, is there a player or a couple of players that stand out for you that season that made the season unexpectedly fun? I mean, not Cesc Fabregas. Cesc Fabregas is a player you expected mm. to enjoy watching, you know, every time he he put on an Arsenal shirt. But who were the, the personalities that season that came to define what was good about it for you?
2: Um, I think Alex Klebb was one of them. Um, I think he went up a gear that season. And, and unfortunately, I think that all went to his head in the end. But... Um, He had a kind of six, seven months in that season where I thought he was extraordinary. And I thought that tactically he was a big part of the reason Fabregas started scoring again because of his ability to keep the ball. Basically, um, you know, his Fabregas would effectively give him the ball and then run forward. And he felt confident making that forward run because not only did he have Flamini behind him, but he knew that Hleb wasn't going to lose it. Um, and and also, I thought Kleb and Eduardo um, were quite key to something that you know. I said we were flitting between four four two and four five one the season before. We actually did it this season as well, and not a lot of people remember. But when we used to go away from home, you know, once Van Persie was injured, we put Eduardo in. But um, a lot of people don't remember that Eduardo played on the left wing as well. And actually, when we bought him, that was that was the uh, that was the case. He was known as a guy who could play left forward or centre forward. And what we used to do away from home is we used to kind of put him out wide left. So when we didn't have the ball, there were five in midfield. And then when we broke, he moved in centrally. He's got kind of almost like a Bamiyang-esque, um, I guess. Um, and it's something we did really successfully a few seasons earlier with Sylvain Wiltord um, when Bergkamp started kind of getting on a bit. We used to go away from home and we'd play Henri up front and we'd put Sylvain Wiltord there. And Wiltord would be somewhere between a right winger and a second striker. Um, and we were doing that with with uh, Eduardo away from home. And Kleb was quite often playing in more of a number 10 role. And I remember there was a game at Aston Villa away in December 07, um, where Kleb absolutely ran the show. He absolutely ran the show. And then John Carew, the big Norwegian striker took him out. Um, you know, put, um, a, what I generously described as a tackle on him. Um, and he needed stitches in his shin and he had to come off.
1: Uh, the good old um, re- and- reducer. I believe they call that, right?
2: Yes. Yeah, and he's still one man of the match despite having to come off like 15 minutes before the end. And, you know, that's how good he was. They they literally, they just went, right, we're, we're getting rid of you. Um so so I think in, and him and, and the interrelation with Rosicky as well, and because Rositsky could come inside, that allowed Eduardo to go outside. So there were a lot of tactically interesting things happening. Um, and I think Kleb and Eduardo, by, just by being a little bit versatile, they basically allowed Adebayor to stay up front and Ces Fabregas to kind of do what he wanted. Um, and, and yeah, so I, I think... And and I think it's worth saying, you know, Bakri Sanya came in and um was a bit of a revelation like none of us knew anything about him and within five six games i just remember thinking yep he'll do and um that's pretty much what i ended up thinking until until his last ever game and so i i think there were a couple of interesting kind of tactical things going on i don't think it was just this big dumb run of momentum
1: yeah i mean it's so crazy when you yeah, go go ahead clive please
3: well, uh Tim's got a fantastic memory, right? I and mean, then <laughs> we need to sit down and have a drink, Tim. We can actually sit next <laughs> to each other. Because I it's amazing what you remember. Because I that left hand side thing with Eduardo, for me, was a was a good thing, but I also think it was a bad thing. Because what it actually did, and I don't know if you guys agree with me, but he played that sort of tucked in left role at, at Birmingham. And what he does is you're taking a guy that should be receiving the ball who was a killer around the box, had pictures all around him, and he's now receiving the ball in areas of the pitch which are a lot deeper, where he can be, you know, just, you know, crowd scenes, which you're you're used to crowd scenes when you're looking for one touch, second touch, is a shot, is a shot, sorry. When it's, um, when you're looking for passes and movements, you you need to be moving in a slightly different way. And I always remember thinking, I want him up front, I want him up front, get, play him in the two, play him in the two. I'm not saying it's just the fault of tactics, but I remember added by all played that day up front against okay, Birmingham, and Eduardo received it slightly deeper, and and some obviously we know what happened. It's not his fault. It's just tactically, I felt it was a strange position to be in, and I don't want him there. And it's just again, it's developing tactics, trying to make use of your good players. The guy was in great form; he was just bubbling. Eduardo was. That was so that's so criminal about that injury, was we could all see you know, we'd replaced the strike force in a in a good way. We had three really good forwards and um, you're thinking, oh, this could really go somewhere. We know we had injury problems with Van Persie, And the ball was added by all. But we had this other guy and he's like, Oh my God, you know, this is this is this is amazing rather than just relying on one player. So when we lost him it it felt cruel because the way he played, the way he finished, the way he fixed things in the box was just incredible. And I think we could all see That we had something and it was just taken away. So, again, that's what I remember about Eduardo playing that role. And you're absolutely right, Tim. And he'd go and join in. But he wasn't as leggy as a a Bamayang. And so I always thought it was difficult for him to do that. And uh, although it suited us, I'm not sure it ever suited him.
2: And that injury against um, Birmingham, you're right, he picks it up in that area of the pitch. It happens in the first five minutes, which is yeah. A, kind of because Birmingham have been, you know, pumped full Fired of... Fired up, yeah. Yeah, like bull <laughs> okay. hormones and told to get into them. And Ed, But Eduardo used to hold that position. I used to watch it all the time. First 10, 15 minutes, Eduardo, stay wide, stay wide. We're 4-5-1 for the first 15 and then then you come out of your hole and then yeah. you join in and have that like little and large. So, you know, 10, 15 minutes later in the match, he probably wouldn't have been there. It was like, it was a a, a, a bit of an early holding pattern in yeah. a game that he was there and held his position. And then after that, it got more fluid, which I think also sh- demonstrates like that this team was tactically intelligent, that we'd built up that flexibility. So even when we lost, you know, because momentum like we had at the beginning of the season, that only ever lasts so long. No one gets that for a whole season. Mm. You might get it for long enough to win you the league. You might get it long enough to win you 10, 11 games in a row and, and whatever. But for the rest of the time, you need something else. And I I thought we developed that something else. We came out of the autumn. We weren't quite firing like we were earlier in the season, but we found a way to win games. We found a way to be solid and then to, you know, kind of do that slow slow quick quick slow thing that that, that really really good teams can do and uh, and yeah and we, and we lost it like not only we did lose it mentally after after that but I also just think that we honestly lost we lost it a bit tactically because we just didn't have the players to do what we'd been doing.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I think it's time to turn the corner and get to the part of the season that a lot of people remember, which is how it finished. And so you set it up and and you say, I think with 12 games to play, we were five points clear at the top. The first team, as I mentioned, to be on 60 points in February. And, you know, I mean, there were challenges. I mean, obviously, one of the things that really derailed that season was injury to Van Persie, injury to Thomas Rositzky, obviously that we've we've spoken about the Eduardo injury, but we're about to speak about it more. Um, it it made the squad a little smaller, and you know what happens when you get into February, March. Suddenly, you know you're playing every three days with a relatively small and inexperienced team. You've suffered some injuries, and you know now the issues start to pop up. So before we get to Birmingham, let's let's talk about the quarterfinal. I know it, it comes later in the season, but. I don't think a lot of people really remember how this went down. The the Arsenal-Liverpool quarterfinal in the Champions League. Tim, the first leg is at home, and it's a 1-1 draw. Mm-hmm. Uh, Adebayor canceled out by Dirk Kite. But what I remember is Alex Klebb being absolutely murdered in the box. And yep. no call. <laughs> I also remember, uh, it, I think it was the first leg, wasn't it? Was it Nick Bentner clearing a Fabregas yep. shot off the line? This was, these two events were heartbreaking. But, I mean, I know you love talking about refereeing decisions. Do you remember the the Hleb incident? And do you remember (laughs) thinking at the time that it was absolutely uh, criminal?
2: Yeah, yeah. Particularly when you look at, um, you know, the angle of it from behind and you see what the referees see. And the referee's view is absolutely, like, it couldn't be better. He's got... Like he's got the camera eye view on it and uh I, yeah when i when i watch it back sometimes i look at it and i think why didn't you think like I, I sometimes like a lot of the time i i un- i understand i try to understand you know decisions it's like well heat of the moment and you've got to be sure and i always think back what did i think at the moment or did i just react to several dozen replays like what what did i honestly think in that moment but the, this one is, is just one of those fairly rare ones where it's like, yeah, that was exactly what it looked like. And you had a brilliant view of it. And I, I just can't, I can't understand where the doubt was um, in your mind. And yeah, and and look, I think the thing is with seasons like this, right, we've done, done a lot of the stuff you need to do to win big trophies. We, we went on the run. You know, we got the momentum and then that died a bit, as it always does. And we found the way to win. And then sometimes you just need a couple of things to go for you. Um, and, and to be fair, to be completely fair, in ensuing seasons when we were kind of fighting for fourth, we got those moments. We got those things that went for us um, when perhaps they could have gone the other way and perhaps we lucked into fourth a couple of times. But this is one of those seasons where th- those things just didn't go for us. They just didn't go for us. Um, and, you know, some of that was because perhaps it was a young team that didn't know how to manage those moments. But I don't think you can just totally discount the extent to which um you know whatever you want to call it luck serendipity fortune like you do need those things sometimes And and i think it was clear that night i just remember thinking after that that this is this has turned now this is just this is all going wrong and We'd been playing badly, but we played well that night and we were up for it and we hadn't, you know, this, I don't, it wasn't a mental thing. You know, I don't think it was a, there there were some league results around that time that were mental. Like it it was just, yeah, these guys have just, they've taken their eye off the ball. They can't handle it. But this was not one of those nights. And it was just one of those nights. I remember coming away thinking, yeah, I I feel like this is all winding down to an obvious conclusion.
1: Yeah, I mean, I I think the reason this one hurt so bad also is we, we were the better team in both legs. We were the better team in the first leg. We were the better team in the second leg. We were a better team than them that season. We outplayed them. We were the victim of a Nick Bentner disaster class and then a, two really horrible refereeing decisions. Because in the second leg, to your point, Clive, we outplayed them and we were going through. And Ryan Babel just throws himself to the ground, and to to go out to Liverpool in the quarterfinals of the Champions League with with Chelsea waiting uh, in the semifinal, and then ultimately United in the final. Um, You know, when we had such a good season, this was a chance to salvage it. At this point, you know, it's April. We we knew that I think our, our league ambitions were already gone, but we we saw ourselves play some of the football that had made it a special season against Liverpool. And really were robbed. I mean, did, did you feel that sense of injustice when it happened? And I mean, for you, which is oh. the worst call? The, the Hleb penalty not given or the Babel penalty given late in the second leg to decide it?
3: He tried to make me cry. Yeah, you? You it was really horrible. Tried to cry. I, I may
1: have cried that night. <laughs>
3: Yeah, I can remember this one really clear. Funny enough, as you look back, for me, I remember the pain more than I remember the joy a lot more. And um, I was I was in Tokyo work on this one, so I was, I was up in the night. Yeah,
1: feel for you, man. That was,
3: sucks. And, and watching it, and basically, it was. I was trying to ring home. I was I was literally talking on my phone, on my own phone charging, charging myself just to make sure I, I could get this game in, and it it was a it was everything obviously Diaby you know the player that I really liked you know he was tremendous that night he scored the first goal they came back into the game and then and then we scored an unbelievable goal on the 84th is it Walcott Walcott
1: long run to Adebayor
3: yeah exactly so Walcott came on he ran past the whole team and we, I think the situation where once you've gone past the whole team, it's like four on one. You then pass it across the area and add it by all scores. At that moment in time, I don't think I could be happier in my, in my whole life. I thought, this is it. We've gone to Anfield, one of those great European nights, and we stuck it to them. We've got the goals that we need. That's it. It's over. I've only got five minutes or so to go. And we just, it was indicative of us. We just lacked that solidity. That calmness, that experience. And they just get the ball into an area and they drive in and babble. He just pretended he got pulled and just fell over. Mm. Number three, you just couldn't wait to point to the spot. You just think yourself, this is just not meant to be. And there
1: was no danger, right? He, well, if I remember, he was like the edge of the box on the near side of the yeah, pitch. He, to, to watch he on started, TV.
3: if you remember yeah. it, the sort of thing, sorry mate, the, the foul started outside of the box. And if there was a foul, if there was a touch, he started outside the box. And he managed to twist and turn and stay on his feet and then collapse inside the box. And I just thought it was a crap decision. It was a crap homer decision. And it cost us a game. And our hearts were broken after that. And they ran away and scored the next goal. And that was it. It was done. But for me, that that was, a you know, I always say Chelsea 2004, was that broke my heart. 2006, it hurt me. What could have been... You know, in Paris, but we were there on the showpiece game, and there was a lot of pride involved in that as well. We didn't lose to a bunch of the dog and duck, you know, at Barcelona. But this, this game really bothered me, quite close to Chelsea, because I felt it could have propelled the team on, maybe could have given us some confidence. We needed that, that, that real moment, that real poster moment. We needed that, and that would have been it, you know. And uh, particularly in England, to show everybody. We could do it, and the suspicion was gone, and it just didn't work out. So, yeah, heartbreaking. heartbreaking.
1: Yeah, and I, to me, I just remember being like, all right, fine. Either you know, give us the club penalty and then also give them the babble penalty or don't give either. It just It felt so infuriating because a mugging in the box in the first leg had not been given, and than a, a tap, you know, and, and it really just felt like a homer call at Anfield. And I, you know, you, you look back at the champions league after that and the van Persie sending off in, uh, you know, in Barcelona, obviously just so many champions league calls that went against us down the years. And, and that one was particularly painful. And it is a shame because at that point already, Tim, a league season that I think deserved so much more uh, was gone for us. Mm. When we, drew at Blackburn uh Blackburn at, at Birmingham it started a a run of one win in eight that ended our chances to win the title this team still finished on 83 points with just three losses um 74 goals scored i believe as i mentioned a, a completed a 22 match unbeaten run uh, to start the season 60 points in february i mean it was really an extraordinary team in a lot of ways and and it just came totally unstuck uh at Birmingham and i mm. i think that there are some other things that happened subsequent to that that people don't remember, and there was a game against Manchester United that was hugely important. Maybe we can come on to that in a moment, but do you want to quickly give an oral history of that night in birmingham and and the ramifications of it mm.
2: yeah, yeah, so um that game in Birmingham i think I think we were four clear at the top, and this would have this win would have put us seven. Some, I think something it was five, like that.
1: Five clear, and it would have been eight. Five, yep. yes, 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 mm-hmm. yes. That's
2: it. That's it. And um, and it was the early kickoff, and we thought it would have been right, eight with
1: eight. eight with eleven to play.
2: Yes, yeah, yeah, that's right. And we'd beaten Blackburn at home um, two weeks earlier to go eight points clear on a Monday night. the The following Saturday after that, we went to Old Trafford in the FA Cup, and we, I, I mean, I don't usually when people say we threw the game, they're exaggerating. We threw the game uh, (laughs) at Old Trafford and, excuse me, lost 4-0 almost deliberately. Um, In fact, Arsene Wenger said explicitly before that cup tie, I'd rather lose than draw and go to a replay. So um, we threw that out the window. And I just remember thinking, I couldn't give a shit. That's fine with me. And uh, we went to Birmingham and, you know, the Eduardo thing happens inside the first few minutes. And obviously that's really shocking um, for everyone. And and I remember it at the time and uh, like, weirdly I, I even have a photo fo- cause it went on for so long um, in, you know, the the treatment and everything. I think it was a good 10, 11 minute stoppage. Weirdly. I have a photo um, that I was looking at the other day, like of, of the scene as it were. And, Uh, and it's just horrible. Everyone's got their head in their hands. Um, All of the players are either looking away or visibly shaken and in tears and and all of this. And like, we knew immediately, we knew absolutely immediately they brought the oxygen out, everything, you know, like we knew what had happened um, and we could see it. Um, And then for the next kind of 20 minutes, games are a non-event. Unfortunately, (laughs) seen this quite a few times now, games become a non-event for about 20 minutes after that happens. Cause everyone's shell shocked. Um, but then, um, we, we managed to get ourselves in front with, with two goals from Theo Walcott. And you're thinking, right, here we go. Okay. Walcott's burst onto the scene. That's amazing. Uh, cause we're going to need him now, now that Eduardo and Persie are injured and Rosicky injured. So that's great. Um, and we were thinking, right, Theo's arrived. Wonderful. And, yeah, and then just in, in the last minute, Birmingham are doing absolutely nothing. They've been down to 10 men for 86 minutes or whatever. And then Gail Clichy, um has a little daydream in, in the penalty area. And and to be honest, it's still a bit of a scandalous pen, penalty call. Scandalous. <laughs> Scand- Don't say bit. Come on, mate. <laughs> I mean...
1: It's not a penalty at all. I think it was Stuart Parnaby. It's a dive. Um, It's one of those situations, though, right, where you find yourself furious with the referee who's blown it and furious with the player who doesn't even need to let that situation develop.
2: Yes, because he should have just put his foot through that and I think the final whistle would have gone. And instead, (laughs) he starts counting sheep or something. Um, And incidentally, I think that Gael Clichy hit a bit of a downward curve after that. Um, And then all of this is going on. And then I just remember my mate going, look at William Gallas. What is he doing? And he was he was on the halfway line, like kicking the advertising hoarding in. Um, But but weirdly, like I didn't pay that incident much mind at the time. I was like, oh, yeah, so he is. I think I was so depressed (laughs) Um, and I don't remember anyone talking about it on the way home either. It was subsequently, you know, Sky, uh, understandably, Sky made a really big deal of it. And so it wasn't until I got home, really, because this was, you know, before the smartphone, really. So I wasn't on the Internet on the way home. It wasn't until I got home that I realized that that this was such a big talking point about what Galas had done. But, yeah, obviously they score. And I tell you what, I, I got home that night and I went out um, and I was meant to go out with one of my best mates. And I was thinking about, oh, do, do I cancel this? I feel awful. And I went and it's one of those where I went out and I thought, oh, I'll try and drink the blues away here a little bit and i went out and i shouldn't have because i was thoroughly miserable i should have just gone home and gone to bed united while united thumped newcastle i think five nil and it was weird because i went very very quickly from thinking shit we're gonna win the league to no it, it just i don't know it sounds like hindsight but it really to me it really felt like it went in that moment i f- i felt psychologically um beaten up by it um and i'm not saying i therefore immediately had the thought well the players will be i just remember you know in my own little kind of selfish head thinking fucking hell like i i actually feel really bad like this is really bad and you know it's always quite shocking Seeing an injury like that, and immediately understanding the gravity of it and um yeah it 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 affected me um psychologically and not necessarily just because I thought it might affect us winning the league on a human level. it honestly shook me a little bit,
1: yeah, <clears throat> it was devastating any anyone want to take just a quick guess at who gave the penalty Mike Dean it was Mike Dean, yeah, I mean of course it yeah. was, and I mean y- you think about. Think about this for a minute. The Invincibles are broken up. Arsene Wenger has built a team out of thin air, out of players many of whom people didn't know, out of kids, out of you know smart buys. Thierry Henry is gone. Freddie Unberg has just gone. He's he's put his invincible goalkeeper on the bench. He's playing Matthew Flamini, which you know wrong for all the reasons you mentioned, Clive, but a brave decision and all of this stuff. And he's he's about to go eight points clear with eleven games to play. And Eduardo, he's already lost Rositsky for the season. He's already lost Van Persie for the season or or thereabouts. I think, I think he did. Um, Eduardo gets his leg broken. Mike Dean gives a penalty that isn't in the 90 plus five or whatever the hell it is. And you go from going eight points clear to, you know, losing ground in a game that you had won against 10 men, 10 men, Birmingham. And it, if you talk about mental strength and you know, what made the Invincibles so special and what made those Arsene Wenger teams before this so special and their ability to rise to the occasion, and then you see Arsenal fail to beat Villa, fail to beat Wigan, fail to beat Middlesbrough, lose to Chelsea, beat Bolton, fail to beat Liverpool, lose at United. Uh, I mean, that was it. You, you wind, that's how you wind up finishing third. But Clive, I, I cannot remember a lot of heartbreak in the league That I felt as keenly as I felt that day the emotion of the injustice of a penalty having it ripped away in the last moment the heartbreak for Eduardo and seeing what happened to him. I mean it it really was a a moment emotionally as a fan over 90 minutes that is about as low as you can about as low as you can go. Do you remember it that viscerally.
3: I remember it, and what I remember thinking was, as Cleb and Fabregas and family and all these players were looking at this guy on the floor after we'd been kicked for most of the season. You know, what I was thinking, I'm thinking, I wouldn't blame them if they left, because why should they stay in this league and not be protected? Because this could be going to happen to me, right? And obviously, a few years later, we ran around and did a similar, a similar thing. Dobby. And Diaby, obviously. So this is not the first; it wasn't the first time. Was, there were incidents, I, and yeah, it, it's just. I think there was even one with um, with Bayor when he was when he was kicked, and he but he was off the pitch, and he was smashed, and then he was out injured, and that's when we liked him. And obviously Van Persie, I, I think I remember Tim. I might got my dates mixed up, but I think he had a thigh injury at the time, and it was something <laughs> stupid like he he was injured. And he told the physio that he was okay. He played against Chelsea.
2: Yeah, oh, yeah, he on, yeah, he came
3: and
2: on. He came on in December against Chelsea when we beat them one 0 And yeah, he he kind of lied about his fitness, and then he was out yeah. for three months.
3: Three months. That talent out for three months. That it's a it's a season of details. It really was for me. Details, random centre midfield decisioning bad, I think, um, transfer Percy's, or lack of, in, in January to not seize the moment. Try to do it on a on the skinniest budget we could possibly do it on. And and then the, the, the Van Persie injury. Obviously the Eduardo injury is an uncontrollable variable, but the Van Persie one with hindsight experience, or maybe inexperience of youth, cost him because he thought you know, I can get through it, and his thigh exploded and we lose him. And you, know, you look at the league table at the end of the season, you think yourself, yeah, you know, but you know what? I felt psychologically we were weak. I felt we had this weakness. We were we had this ability to derail. Going back to 2003 when Sol Campbell, his elbows sort of went into Sol Scar's face. And we we managed to make that hole really big. And we fell into it. You know? And obviously things happened in the Champions League later on. But that day against Burnham, I think at the end of it, were we like six points clear when the final whistle went? Something like that? We were six yeah. points clear. I think we had a game... Played we game played more. a game more, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But we're still top. So where was that person saying, We're in this? But we all felt the same, because we all thought it wasn't eight. It wasn't eight points, it's only six. We we're game in hand. It's over. Man, We'd sign up for that right now, wouldn't we? Those points differential. We're and at the top of the league, we'd sign up immediately. So our whole mentality, I felt at the time was we were almost waiting for something to go wrong, so we could throw ourselves into that hole. And and it went wrong, and we threw ourselves into it, mm. and that's what we were. And we needed a Vieira type, you know. We needed that player to say, "This is not happening to us. We're going to control it." But what we did is we had William Gallas, who was the most fragile, emotional captain. Exactly what we didn't need, and that's why the issue was made bigger because we had chosen him to lead us. And and it was just the wrong type of individual required at the wrong at the wrong moment. Have you ever and, seen anything
1: like that from a player, let alone a leader, let alone a captain? I mean, I, I can understand being upset about the Eduardo thing, but the 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 kicking the hoardings and the pouting on the pitch and the you know the crying on the pitch yeah. like I, mm-hmm. I can't remember a scene like that.
3: Well, you know what? We all felt the same, right? I'm well, we yeah, but I'm not the we captain the of captors. Arsenal. Thank you God. should be. You should be walking around picking people up. Know, going over to fans, bringing all the players over and, and really doing what you should do. What you shouldn't do is internalise right, and make it all about you and how you're feeling. Because straight away then you you dismiss yourself, you separate yourself away from the, the club and the manager to go out there and pick him up. And you open the door to ridicule. And for me, I, I remember thinking to myself at that time, I mentioned a little bit earlier, I felt that the, the switch had flicked and if Gallas felt he could do that, that means the environment was changing and that was okay you know what i mean and i didn't like it and i wanted him out right and i thought that that's not what we, we're all about and once you start seeing players behave like that you always i always say the same things your your product of your environment if that's okay in that environment well that's okay and i didn't think that it should have been i'm not sure if there was any sort of action afterwards but i felt it should have been dealt with in a way that said that's not that's not the right sort of behavior we're still in this we need to push forward and know own our destiny and i just felt we let it happen to us and mentally folded
1: yeah i agree i mean tim can you remember any captain or player i mean reacting like that i mean I, and what that transmits to the other not, players uh, maybe not in the premier i mean eric canton i
2: kicked a fan well yeah oh, sure <laughs> i guess <laughs> yeah but, but yeah <laughs> <laughs> um which which is a pretty fragile emotional thing to do um I, and you know look i've 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 seen it i've seen something similar in like south american football um yeah uh, very much so it, it's weird because i kind of mean it when i say i don't know if this this is just me i didn't consider it a big deal at the time and it might be just um it, it was possibly a product of kind of bias on my part because I liked Gallas and I really liked the signing. It wasn't planned. It was completely opportunistic and it was just like, right, um, Ashley Cole's going, he's unhappy. Let's just have a grab at that. But I always really liked Gallas um, for the same reason that I like cats because I appreciate arrogance. I value it. Um, and, and, and so I liked him and I really wanted that signing to work. And I was as much as I loved Gilberto, I, I actually thought wrongly, as it turned out, I I was quite happy with him being made captain. I thought, yeah, th- this is kind of what this group needs. It needs like um and, and you know, look, I, I miscast him. So um, but I mean at the time I felt, yeah, this this is like a young team. It needs a guy who's been at you know, been at Chelsea, won a couple of league titles, doesn't take any prisoners, you know, will tell people when they're out of line. Um but you know what what Clive says is, is absolutely right. he internalized it and he made it about himself and the rest of the group sees that when you do that um, and I you know I think he lost their trust um, that day and, and so I think definitely kind of in 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 hindsight it, it is well not in hindsight for me quite extraordinary because I acknowledge that um, at the time a lot a lot of Arsenal fans found it extraordinary as well. Um, I, I didn't find it quite as extraordinary. Um, which is not to say I found it completely normal um, either. But yeah, I mean, it's kind of beginning of the end stuff. And even if Gail Clichy was a bit of an idiot, you know, he probably, I think you either put your arm around him and say, there, there, mate, we're still six points clear. Don't worry about it. We'll sort it next week. Or you go up to him and go, you fucking idiot. What are you doing? You don't go over to the advertising hoarding and start kicking the shit out of that. Like, I like confront, the man, the player, your teammate and either comfort him or put a rocket up his ass, do one of the two, but don't kind of storm off and separate yourself from the team and make out that they've all let you down. Um, yeah, that, that's not leadership.
1: No. And I mean, I'll stay with you for one second, Tim, as we start to now wrap up and, and tomorrow we'll do a a rewatch for patrons of the, of the away Derby. And then Friday, the aftermath of this season and, and how a team that should have been special wound up becoming nothing. But, uh, you know, there was a game at old Trafford. We we, we lost to Chelsea. We dropped a lot of games. We we won one in eight, as I mentioned. But when we went to old Trafford, as it turns out, a win there, we would have been champions, assuming all the other matches ended the way they did. end. now maybe United wind up getting an extra point somewhere. If they had lost that day, because, you know, they, they were making a run to the champions league final. So they had their priorities stretched in a few places, but, we take the lead through Adebayor, we wind up conceding a penalty, Ronaldo scores, and then they get a late, I think, Hargreaves winner, if I remember correctly. And, you mm-hmm. know, as as much as Birmingham is remembered as the the night the title was lost, I remember still feeling like this was a big game. And as it turns out, it, yep. it, winning, going on to win that game, which we were leading, I mean, when Adebayor scores that goal, you realize it's not gone. And, and so it mm-hmm. was snatched from us. I mean, do you remember that game being a painful one or is it just all overshadowed by what happened, you know, both at Birmingham and, and the Liverpool tie was sort of in that vicinity as well. How do you remember that old Trafford game?
2: It it was painful, but not quite as much as the other two. You're right. Like um we were still in with a chance and when we went one up you thought, oh, here we go. But I, I think really we kind of all knew it had gone by that point. Um And actually, I went there expecting to lose. I just thought, no, no, this team's like checked out at this stage. The the reason perhaps the aftermath of it wasn't quite as painful is because I'm not sure if people will remember this, but um, in the away end, we stayed for about 25 minutes after the final whistle, um, just kind of singing, um, which I kind of... Which was, I guess, a, a slightly weird reaction, but um and and i don't know if it was an expression of you know of trauma of of gratitude for you know because no one really expected us to challenge for the title and whether that was a kind of well you know what all things considered you've given it a good go well done thank you or whether it was just a way of like you know the tears of a clown type thing i i don't really know but um that definitely makes my memory of it quite different because I just remember being in the ground for about 25 minutes afterwards just just singing. And I, and I think also a little bit of it was because the Man U fans were taking the piss and it was just a way of putting a bit of a barrier up. Because when we lost that cup game in February, I remember we were 4-0 down with a few minutes to go and we, like none of us cared because we thought we were going to win the league. And uh, I remember a chant that went up at the end of that game that just said, we'll be back to win the league because we knew this fixture was coming. And we were so confident that we thought we'd have it done by then, mm. <laughs> I think. And and actually, we'd looked at this fixture thinking, we might win at Old Trafford again. Um, and obviously, the United fans reminded us that, that that hadn't happened. So maybe it was a bit of a barrier there as well. But painful memory, but not quite the same.
1: And... Uh- I'd say one of one of the legendary Manchester United players of all time, Howard Webb, did award that penalty that Ronaldo converted. So, I mean, that, that was the end of it. And it was a Hargreaves uh, winner in the 72nd minute. But, you know, just once again, when you're leading that game, I remember we, we get that goal in the 48th, the penalty was in the 54th. There's six minutes there where you're like, it's back on. This This team deserves something. And I just think on the balance of play, the way we played that season, the football we played with that team – it, it deserved better, and, and the, the combination of refereeing decisions at Old Trafford, at Birmingham, at Anfield, at Arsenal against Liverpool, injuries, the, the Eduardo injury, it just robbed that team of something that should have been really special and rewarded some extraordinary football, and a team that Arsene Wenger put together kind of out of thin air and then never turned into anything. So, Clive, I mean, as that season ends, for all of the pain late, did it leave you with a sense of something really special that that had happened in the aftermath of the Invincibles, and and sort of a renewed hope that wait a minute there, there's a there's a special team here again, or were you just sort of focused more on on how it had ended and the, the disappointment?
3: Yeah, I look back and think it was nice, uh, a really nice team. I understand football differently um, today than I did back then, and to have almost like the. The situation with the three number 10s in Clev, Fabregas, and Rizicki, moving around with Van Persie. I mean, they're, they're, these are highly technical players, you know, with a monster up front, added by all, you know, the, the trickery and finishing of, of, of Eduardo. And then, you know, the back four I mentioned earlier, you know, quite a fast, rapid, quick back four, maybe not massively physical, but. Really good one-on-one defenders. Something that we lack today. Really, you know, we're a bit slow, but these guys were quick. They were good, happy one-on-one, and they dealt with people. They could be left alone, and you weren't worried about it. And some of these fundamentals, I still believe in today. You know, and and when you look back, and you're looking at you know how we mould a team today. There was a lot of good things in that team, and there was a there was a lot of good partnerships. The midfield four loved each other, whether I loved them all or not. They, they were good parts, they were they were tactically suited with each other up to a point. We had, you know, an emerging vampirism, not enough. We had a very good Alibayor, and, um, and, and so there were some really good things there. So I look back fondly, but I can't help but feel my primary feeling at the time was what could have been. And I always used to look at it and say, we let this happen to ourselves, we didn't quite manage it correctly. When you look back a bit of hindsight, you think, well they did great for their ages, their experience and and what they brought. And some of the things we spoke about tonight, these are memories that will stay with me for a long, long time. You know, they gave me some memories that will not leave me. And some of the most fond memories I've had of watching football. So again, at the time hated it, hated everybody. I hate Man United, I hate Chelsea, but looking back, it's, it's, it's nice. It was really nice.
1: Yeah. And I mean, it, You'd be hard-pressed to find a season like that where, through almost all of February, you're one of the great league teams of all times in some ways, playing the best football, having Pele say you're the best team on the planet, Um, and then heartbreak, utter heartbreak, injury heartbreak, injustice heartbreak, mental collapse heartbreak, your players letting you down, the referees letting you down, the opposition, you're doing things that that are unconscionable, Across multiple competitions, just just ridiculous to have to have a season with that kind of dichotomy of motion and to end that way. Um, Tim, as a final thought, of all the teams post invincibles, was was that the best team to watch? Was there any that that you could put next to it that you felt kind of delivered the same kind of entertainment value? Maybe what was it ten eleven was the was another one? Yeah.
2: Maybe? Yeah, I, th- I think maybe ten eleven 11 um, was quite similar in a way in that that sprung up and, and died just as quickly. That um, I think it was christened the Theo van Nasregas, uh front four and Jack Wilshire had just come on the scene. And again, we were playing this kind of fast technical football. And again, we were getting back into the title race. And then Fabregas gets injured, Van Persie gets injured. We lose the Carling Cup final. Nasri and Fabregas fuck off and... You know, it all just and Song starts believing that he's actually Song Aldinio, and Wilshire gets injured, and and that all falls apart quickly as well, um, which which has become a depressingly recurring theme um, at Arsenal over the you know over the last few years. We we get something that works, and then a couple of injuries just wipe it all out. Um, but yeah, I, I think this was I I'm not sure that there were elements of this that were an accident. Um, You know, like Flamini, for example. I'm not sure Arsene Wenger was banking on Adebayor scoring 30 league goals. 30 goals, rather, in a season. Um, I'm not sure that in his heart of hearts, he genuinely thought Adebayor was going to have a season like that. So I I think a few things kind of came together. Um, But yeah, I I think certainly during the autumn of this season, I, I thought it was just some of the best football I saw us play. And then in the couple of months after that, around Christmas time, probably some of the smartest, like there was a game at Everton between Christmas and new year and, you know, Everton away on like December the 29th. That's a horrible fixture. And we, and we weren't very good, but we beat them 4 one because we were just so on it. And so clinical, um, and and I I, lo- I love what that that's my favourite Arsenal. I lo- like like I really obviously I really like watching like the great beautiful football and everything. But like I say like mo- when you're at like that kind of peak, you know it's not going to last. So what what I'm really looking for is what does the seven out of ten Arsenal look like? What do, what does the you know turn up Saturday Sunday? home game against shit kickers FC what does what does that arsenal look like that's what really interests me and that's what what really interested me during that that season because I knew that that autumn run wouldn't go on forever it was what are we going to look like after this Mm. and for a couple of months I I thought I was delighted with how we looked because we lost that momentum but we kept that that kind of smarts about us and and therefore i didn't see the kind of the the mental collapse coming
1: well we weren't jaded yet i think that the salient point here is you know there were seasons mm-hmm. when we were in first or near first in you know december january subsequent to that where you are like no oh, we'll blow it don't worry we're not yeah. really in a title race because this cause was we were the jaded. first one of yes. those wasn't it yes and so at th- we were dumb enough when we were clear in February and playing the best football to assume it was going to happen, you know? So it was, it was pre jaded era where you could believe in this. I mean, this is, this is a tale of two cities should have been written about this. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times all in the same season. So Clive, I mean, um, tomorrow we'll, we'll do a rewatch and maybe just sort of celebrate a moment in time during that period when Arsenal were, were on it. Sound good to you?
3: Yeah, why not? Why not? let's stuff. go for it and then let's go for it I mean, it'd, be, it'd be interesting to see tactically if why what, what we see right yeah so and wait. how the
1: game has changed too but yeah i mean more than anything i just uh, i think it would be interesting then friday to, to talk about what happened to that team because you i mean i've seen buildings implode slower <laughs> than this team did so we'll definitely get into that tim's on twitter thanks tim my pleasure as always clive's on twitter at clive pf thanks clive
3: Thank you very much
1: yeah i um I have a, a blog I wrote about how that team broke up, so I will link to that um on for friday 's pod uh if you have you know forty minutes and five thousand words you 're in the mood for uh of me <laughs> it's not not going to be a lot of takers for that, but in any event we're uh, we're going keep on keeping on and, and talk some arsenal while there's something to talk about in any event uh I just hope you're doing well, always say it, but I, I hope everyone's hanging in there, and I know the walls are starting to feel like they're closing in on me a little bit, but uh, we'll get through it in any case if i say that one more time i'm going to hurt myself uh we're going to do the rewatch tomorrow for patrons we're going to do the aftermath pod on friday clive and i talked a little bit about the mm-hmm. Mesodoso situation yesterday so if you haven't heard that yet you can get stuck into that we'll say goodbye for now but we'll talk to you on thursday and again on friday we love you we'll talk to you after arsenal 20 covid 19